0: Hey, being at work listeners, welcome back to another episode. This is your host, Andrea Butcher. And goodness, this show and how it continues to evolve, and the guests that we connect with, and the learnings that, oh my goodness, the things that are exactly what I need to hear I just keep showing up. We launched this show to highlight our humanity at work. Leadership is hard and it's all connected. And when I first connected with this guest last year, probably mid-year, she was in the car with her daughter on her way home from her daughter's chemo appointment. And I was very quick to say, oh my gosh, you know, should we reschedule? Without skipping a beat, like, oh no, we do this a lot, she said. And then she told me the story. Stacey Baird is the chief people officer at Community Medical Services but what you really need to know about Stacy is how she's developed self-compassion and such a deep recognition of the need to take care of herself so that she can navigate the pressure cooker experiences of life. As you'll hear in her story, she has navigated significant personal challenge over the last year. She's continued to podcast. She's continued to serve as an executive. She's continued to be a mom and a wife and do lots of other things. And she's learned so much about herself and her leadership in the process. Check it out.
1: So I really got, I would say, no pun intended, I'm in addiction recovery as a business now in mental health, but Really love high growth business and started, as many people say by accident, got into medical school and then said that is not my jam. I was working at a hospital at the time recruiting residents. And so that's where I started my journey is just starting to recruit people into the business of just helping other people. But identified pretty quickly when managed care was subsuming the healthcare system back in the late 90s that. I didn't want to see people 15 minutes apart and jam people in and out of my practice. It just didn't feel good to me. It wasn't aligned to the work I wanted to do. So I started down this road and I always tell this story. Somebody said, oh, you want to work in HR? I was like, no, those are the angry people in the basement by the morgue. That's where they were in the hospital I worked in. And they were angry at the universe. I like the stuff I do, which is talking to people about new opportunities. I don't know what they do, but it looks like they don't love their jobs. So I went into recruiting first and just started down the road there. And then one of my clients asked me to come to his company that he was building in Sunnyvale, California, to build an HR team. And again, I was like, I don't know how to do that. But he said, we'll figure it out. We're going to figure a lot of things out because we're going to be in Silicon Valley and we have to compete for talent. So talent's the biggest issue. So that started my journey, led the practice for a ton of high growth organizations, PEVC funded, some public companies have been at public companies twice leading either the talent acquisition or a bigger part of the HR function. So just a variety. I like a challenge. So the common denominator is give me the hard thing. Every time I go take a new opportunity, my husband this time was like, this one looks pretty good. I was like, that one looks like the easy one. I'm not in. So here I am at CMS. Really, we're at the tip of the spear of the opioid crisis. It's a very tough business. We are Medicaid funded. There's nothing here that makes what we do for a living easy, and we are on a mission to solve this opioid crisis, which touched my family several years ago, and everyone here, I think, has had some level of personal experience with this crisis, so it's personal for all of us. We're now bumping up against uh, 75 locations in 14 states, so we're continuing to build our footprint been here a little less than two years. So it's been a really incredible growth story since I've been here. And then I have my own podcast really telling the stories around how human experience affects what we do in the seat, in the chief people seat, but also just as leaders. And so that resonated with what happened to me in the last year and being here and what happened in my own personal life.
0: Yeah, it feels like all of your experience, all of your background, everything you've done, this mindset around like taking on challenges, it feels like it's all led you to where you are today, professionally, personally. It feels like it's also connected.
1: It is. We're all on a journey that's not necessarily preconceived, but I do think we have things in our life that we're here to learn. And the same things have come up for me over and over and over again. And just when I think, okay, I'm really good at this, I feel like another bigger, more challenging piece of that comes up for me. And That's been true in my own life. I wasn't raised by my parents. I was raised by my paternal grandparents. I was removed from my mom's care. So like, this has been a theme for me my whole life, just big time obstacles and challenges. And so I think for me, the trick there is when something else happens, it's really easy to say, why me again? Versus I'm being really asked to take on another big challenge. And I know, and I have faith in from my own personal experience, there's a reason behind it.
0: Well, and especially, I mean, the attitude of give me the hard thing, because you keep climbing the mountain. You keep persevering through these really hard things, which no doubt gives you confidence. Like, you know, you are up for it.
1: You know, I talked a little bit about why I'm at CMS and why I chose CMS, but that example of my now ex-husband spiraled into a fentanyl addiction after having bilateral hip replacement. At the time, and I tell this story a lot like all really great things happen on the floor of a bathroom. I think that's really true for women. Many of our epiphanies happen on the cold tile, re evaluating our life. And it was in my life definitely for a reason. And it drew me into this opportunity as an example, understanding how real this crisis is and how broad and how deep this cuts and how it affects not just the person struggling with addiction, but with their children, and their partner, and their parents, and their life. It is a ripple that is unseen. And so I think an opportunity to come here is a great example of, again, in my life for a reason. And here we are looking at how do we change the trajectory of people's
0: lives that are struggling with that same problem. Absolutely. So your personal connection, no doubt, supports your influence as a leader and an executive in this business there's a real personal why for you. What a great intro and way to set up our conversation, because when you and I were first connected, and I told you that the sole focus of this show being at work was it's a leadership podcast that highlights our humanity at work. And in our first intro conversation, you were in the car with your daughter because you were leaving a doctor's appointment, and you'll tell us about her journey and what you all have been navigating over the last year. But just the way you were so like, just doing it. Cause I even said, Do you want to reschedule? And you're like, Nope, this is how I do a lot of my work. Your being at work over the last year has looked very different than it has for a lot of other people. And I so admire the grace with which you have navigated that. And I know you're going to talk about how you've developed self compassion and. But you're such a good example of how being at work can look really, really hard and you continue to show up in that.
1: Yeah, it wasn't great every day. I'll say that. But I think that's part of the process. And I don't think it's realistic. That's the whole point of self-compassion. You're going to have days where it doesn't look pretty. It's not going well. And you're having a hard day. And you have meetings on your calendar. And I think it's the discernment and the repetition of that discernment, for example, on when can you show up? When should you show up? When is it good for you to show up? Good for you, good for everyone else. And when is it not? Because there were definitely days early on that I showed up that I should have not shown up. Again, for myself, for my daughter, for my team, for everyone involved, I probably should have taken a pass on a meeting or not shown up. So I think, again, the blessing and the gift. So the story is my daughter got very sick this time last year. So December, actually, of last year, 2022. <laughs> she couldn't fight off the flu. She was having all sorts of issues. And whether it's maternal instinct or I've been in healthcare for a lot of my career, I just knew something wasn't right with her health. How old was she, Stacy? at the time? She was 16. And this is my child that really played top-level volleyball on an level since she was six. This is, like, my athlete, my kid that is super tough, had almost dislocated a shoulder in a game. She's my toughest, like, physically tough kid. If this was my son who, like, if his pinky toe hurts, we're not getting out of bed, different discernment there. For her to be complaining, you knew something was up. And she just couldn't shake things. And so I kept going to the pediatrician. We came every week, every week, we kept going back and flash forward. The last time I took her in to the pediatrician within 12 hours, she was diagnosed with a, a rare form of leukemia that's super aggressive. And she was in really a late stage of that leukemia by that point. She was almost in organ failure. And we went from the pediatrician's office to the children's hospital to her first round of chemo within 12 hours. And so you don't even have time to process what's going on. The oncologist is sitting in front of you and she couldn't process what was going on. 16 is hard, 16 year old girl, really hard. 16 year old girl and now you have cancer and you're gonna lose your hair and all the things that she was most concerned about. I was concerned about just losing her period. It was all a blur. She asked me the other day, she's like, what did I say? I'm like, I'm going to have to ask James. I don't really remember what she said. I remember we were just both in a state. I assumed it was leukemia or lymphoma about probably five or six hours before they came and told us, just given the test that they were running. But again, the blessing and the curse of being in healthcare, I was reading the tea leaves. And then from that point forward, she was inpatient for 30 days. And then she had five day a week chemo for nine months having to navigate through all of her teenage stuff about shaving her head and all the things that she was navigating as well as navigating the reality of the chemo that she was having was incredibly aggressive and she was very, very sick. So I tell the story quite a bit about that 30 days was a lot of practice, lots of things, but I really found this Kristen Neff and Chris Germer's work on self-compassion. I had found that work probably about six months prior to that. The three-step process, it's pretty simple. This is why I think if we don't cultivate our own human experience, we can't really do anything for anyone else because this is all about yourself and not self-care and going to a spa day. Like that wasn't going to help me. What was going to help me was I drove to that hospital every day for 30 days and I had to make decisions along the way. What could I handle today? How did I curate my morning to show up for my daughter? in a positive and inspirational way for her as soon as I walked through that door when she was having her worst day of her life and walking through the hallways of a children's hospital where you're on a cancer ward and all the things you see, experience and feel, all the parents you interact with, all the kiddos that you see, all the things. like It's this microcosm of how do I navigate that today? So waking up every morning and saying, what do I need today? Do I need a workout or did that feel terrible? I'm a workout person. I've taught cycle and aerobics for 26 years. I love a workout, but there are some mornings I work up. I was like, that sounds like the worst thing ever. I need a bagel and some coffee. You know, what do I need today? I made a decision every day whether I drove into the parking garage or I didn't. Seems so minor. And it isn't. The parking garage is very small. People are stressed. Parents are there because their child is sick. There are kids crying. Like it again is the incubator of stress and pressure. COVID restrictions, believe it or not, even last year were still on. People were masked, distancing. There was a check in protocol at the front desk. So it was just like the pressure cooker of. All the things you can think of that are like the most stressful things you can think of. There's nothing more stressful than your child not being well as a parent. And so Sundays I was like, yep, not doing that today. I'm parking at the Starbucks. I'm going to go into Starbucks, get a coffee, get a coffee for one of the nurses, you know, at the same time, be grateful for them taking care of my child overnight, walk across the street. I'm not going into that parking garage today. I'm going to go right into the building. And some days I was like, I'm feeling good today. And if I can smile at someone or be positive for someone else or hold the door for someone else because I'm in a space I can do that today, then I'm going to do that today. So really self-compassion is what do I need today to be in my best space? And then that mindfulness, just taking a minute and asking yourself that question. Let me follow through on what that looks like and really giving yourself the appreciation for doing that for yourself and saying like, everybody's kiddo here is sick. My kiddo is having a rough day today. It is normal for me to feel like this is hard. I'm not less than because I'm not there at eight o'clock sharp for rounds with the doctor every single day. I'm allowed to have a hard day. I'm allowed to have a day where things are, not flowing so easily. And so those components are what really stuck with me. And like I said, what a gift 30 days in a row. There's no science necessarily around the 30 days for a habit, but I will say got pretty sticky after doing it after 30 days of every single day asking myself those questions. And then when she transitioned home, it really wasn't any easier. We drove her 30 minutes each direction for chemo every day, Monday through Friday. And you're walking into the same stuff. You know, you're walking into a peds unit, an oncology unit but a smaller
0: location. So yeah, it was lots and lots of days in a row of asking myself those same questions. Well, I suspect her transition home came with a new set of challenges then. Absolutely. Because then we're worried about she was immunocompromised and I have two other teenage
1: girls at home that work in service industry jobs and go to school and how do we keep everybody safe? So, yeah, there's a level of fear that came with her not being in the bubble, for sure. Her being in the bubble was sometimes easier, even though it was not as easy on me some days. It was better for her. Now, the social isolation for her was not awesome. So I will say at 16, to be able to allow friends that were not sick and could wear masks to come and see her. She got no visitors at the hospital, zero. If you know teenage girls, like that's worse than everything else is to having no interaction. Everything came with blessings and everything came with hard stuff every single time. And so I think that the lessons that we learned in that is it's just uh, different blessings and different
0: hard depending on the circumstance. Which is why that taking it day by day and what do I need today? Because conditions were changing. The variables were different. Circumstances were different that day by day really served you well. If you know anything about being a caregiver of somebody who is struggling with something
1: that's that serious, they have good days and bad days too. She'd have really good days and she'd have days where she was not good at all. And what you think is gonna happen is never what's gonna happen. So like the days I'm like, okay, we're off chemo for a week. This is great. You're gonna be great. She was so much worse those weeks. Because she wasn't getting IV meds for nausea and other things. So the week she was off of chemo, I'm thinking in my mind, great. It was horrible. She was super sick. And like you said, just every day waking up and going, what do I need today? What does she need today? I can't control what today looks like. I'm going to do my best to show up. And I'm going to just communicate with my team like we're having a bad day today, guys. Can I get your help here? Can someone help me there? Or I'll be on this if I can, but I can't commit to being there. Or it's a good day, guys. If you don't mind, can I reach out and grab some one-on-ones with you guys if your calendars are open? Because I'm, we're having a good day. Let me touch base with the people that have been reaching out. So it was really created a, a level of flexibility on our team as well. We have a really good team and everybody really had each other's back. It was a gift as well.
0: Well, and that, I mean, it goes back to your, do I show up for this call? Do I not? Because you continued to serve as an executive. You continued to podcast. You continued to do all the things, be a wife, be a mom to other kids. So I imagine it was like, whatever you're walking into, how can I show up? Given everything that's going on with me, and then the support around you as well. Like you said, delegating, shifting a lot.
1: It's a lot. And I heard someone say one time, like, pain and trauma aren't comparative. And so if someone's listening to this and they're like, well, my daughter doesn't have cancer, that pain isn't more than someone having a
0: hard day for a different reason. It doesn't matter what the reason is, it's hard and there's grace that goes along with that. Whatever it is, those comparisons can get us in trouble. The parking garage is such a metaphor, isn't it? I remember the first time you described that for me, and I very much related to the pressure cooker, and particularly your comment about on the days that you decided to go into the pressure cooker, being a light for people, being positive for people, but you got to know what's going on with you in order to do that. It's so important because I suspect that there were times I shouldn't have shown up. There were times I shouldn't have gone into the pressure cooker, or the parking garage, but I did. What are your learnings from those moments? As a mom, as an executive, as a leader,
1: I have spent a lot of my career setting aside my own needs to really try to help other people. And an interesting question I got a lot is, you're going to still do the podcast? I'm like, That is my creative outlet. That's my connection with other people. That's my ability to learn new things as I have conversations with other people. And every time last year, a guest would come on, I'd like, well, thank you for giving me exactly what I needed today because you delivered exactly something that I really needed to hear and learn. So I think creating space in your car, the music I would play, or am I in the mood to listen to something? that's a podcast that's more fun or do I want to listen to music today? Those are the very minor decisions that we make or is this an opportunity because I have a 45-minute commute to the hospital? Do I call one of my friends that's in Toronto that I never get to talk to because she and I can now connect because I have 45 minutes? So really trying to reorient that time in the car as a gift for myself as well instead of a burden because you can take that trip Over and over. Same thing when I started driving. For anybody that has kids, there's this moment that happens when they get their driver's license. Our youngest, Holland, is about to get her driver's license next week. There's a little bit of sadness. You don't spend time in the car with them really anymore. And so Joss was 16. So she had had her license for almost a year when she got diagnosed. And so those trips, the chemo, ended up being the most time I had spent with her in a long, long time. And the time, In the car. Now, sometimes she was asleep and wouldn't even speak to me because she was emotional and hormonal and all the things. And some days she was really talkative and telling me all the things and how she's processing this or what's happening for her. And so I think people say words like gratitude or be grateful or understand abundance. And we use that terminology, but all it really means is taking every one of those experiences as an opportunity. You can view it as an opportunity and a gift or you can view it as a burden. And so this was an opportunity to reconnect with my daughter. And then, you know, as her treatment went on, it actually created other opportunities. Our son Dayton picked her up sometimes. Sometimes my husband picked her up. Sometimes her dad picked her up. Sometimes her friends were on spring break and we got a waiver for some of her friends to come and pick her up and they could see what she was going through. And it allowed people to be in her world and although she always many times preferred for me to be there as a mom right like everybody gets that I think she also really appreciated how other people showed up for her she understood like I was trying to navigate all the things over months and months and months of time it wasn't a short period of time it was a very long period of time she started to really also understand and
0: appreciate other people were coming and and helping to helping me and helping her When I imagine the insight that all of those people got, too, from the experience, the learnings they had, a lot of small win opportunities along the way that you took advantage of.
1: Yeah, there was a little girl. I think I did a Freedom Friday post about this, that there was this little girl that was there every Tuesday that we went into treatment. And she only had treatment once a week, but she was maybe five or six. And she always wore these headphones that had little kitten ears on it. Her little bald, fuzzy head, like she's the cutest thing. And she loved Jocelyn. She was so excited when Jocelyn would walk in. And she said to me one time, she is so beautiful. And I think for Joss, sometimes that was hard. That was heavy. That was a lot. But one day, Jocelyn was upset that day because a boy had said something mean to her at a party. And that Jocelyn looked like a boy. And the sleep girl was like, Jocelyn, that boy is just stupid. Like, he... Like to have the shoe on the other foot. She was like, listen to me. So to your point, those were all really organic gifts. And now Jocelyn wants to go to school to be a nurse. That was not in her realm before all of this. And just understanding how those nurses... Change the trajectory of her life and her treatment and
0: how this experience will just shape her.
1: So how is she doing? How is Jocelyn today? She's great. She's in remission. She had two clear bone marrow biopsies, so she's in full remission. And she goes back once a month. We do our checkups. We have to do that for a couple of years. And yeah, she's looking at what's next. Where does she want to go to nursing school and what does she want that to be? So she's finishing up high school. She's a little behind, as you can imagine. So we're trying to chip away. And then she's back at work and she worked at Subway before she got sick. And this is a testament to the labor market. Like she walked into a Subway, a different Subway, and they were like, let me understand, you already know how to do this stuff. And they hired her without even interviewing her. So I think that's just normal, like starting to feel normal. I'd like for her to go away to school to have back some of what she missed around normal. She didn't get to do many, many normal things of her senior year. So I'd love for her to go experience school in, in a very immersive way to sort of get back some of that experience that she missed out on over the last
0: couple of years, hoping she can do that. And you referenced your Freedom Fridays. Was that something that you started doing? And tell us about the Freedom Fridays. So interestingly enough, I started it before this all happened because we have a town hall
1: every Friday, a live town hall at CMS. It's a gift and it's very challenging because it's an open with all employees. So all 800 plus can dial into this and ask any question they want. We don't censor. All the questions you can imagine, those are all the questions I'm getting on town hall. Why is this? Why is that? This is unfair. And so I actually, one of the first steps to self-compassion for me was I work out really hard almost every day. So Freedom Friday, I started going on a hike every Friday, 10 minutes from my house. I have a trailhead. And I said to myself, what do I need today? Do I need a hard hike or do I just need to meander and like take pictures? I do photography. Do I just take pictures today? So to really be in a space by the time we dial into town hall at 9 a.m. where I'm in a good place, what's gonna help me show up for this town hall, positive, refreshed, open, viewing feedback as a gift, seeking to understand... How do I get myself there? And so that's where Freedom's Friday started, and just taking the opportunity every Friday morning to do what I feel like doing, not what I feel like I think I should do, and really feeling like in my body and in my soul and in my mind, what's going to move me into a better space. And so I've been doing that, man, it's almost been two years, and that's what's built kind of my LinkedIn growth. And I think that really resonates for people. Like before you go into your weekend, What do you need to do on Friday to get ready to disconnect? If you're a Monday through Friday person or the last day of your work week, what's going to help you check the boxes? Or what are the things that you can do today so you can close your computer at the end of the day
0: and go, I'm good. I'm out. And you started this a year before anything happened with Jocelyn. So I think about too, just that discipline around how am I going into my weekend? So prepared you for every moment, didn't it? Every day. hundred percent.
1: Yeah. And I did Freedom Friday the week she got diagnosed. It was the hardest one. I cried the whole time, but I get on here and I talk about this stuff. And when you really need it is when you really need it. We practice it because you need it when you need it. And that week, I needed it.
0: Yeah, you needed it. It's like batting practice, isn't it? Getting prepared for the big game over and over and over. Stacy, I hear the intentionality with which you're living your life. You started with you're up for the hard things. I mean, and you're up for the hard things because you're preparing yourself to respond so that you're not reacting to the shit, to the emotion, to the challenge, to the pressure cooker. You're getting yourself in a position where you can respond to it all
1: that's the goal. Joss would ask me many times why. And I said, baby, God, the universe gives only the most interesting, strong people, the hardest challenges. And that you would not be very interesting if you didn't do hard things. And again, if you think about the most interesting people you've ever met, they have big stories and big challenges. And so I think after navigating stuff Prior, it's like, why this? Why this now? It would be a really easy question to ask yourself. It is about intentionality every single day. And some days that's easier than others, obviously, but doing our best
0: to do that. Yeah. And why this? Because you are up for it. That's the big takeaway. Preparing yourself for those pressure cooker moments. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for highlighting Jocelyn and her story. It will be fun to see how this shapes her experience, just as it's having her think about her career differently now. We're all better having heard her story and how you've navigated it all. So thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate that. If our listeners want to connect with you, Stacy, and learn more about the Freedom Fridays and all the great work you're doing, what's the best place to find you?
1: So LinkedIn, I'm on Instagram, but I'm also uh, the HX podcaster on LinkedIn, but also stacybear.com is my website where all those links are and live. We keep up to date. So yeah, absolutely. If you want to find me, that's where to find me.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Stacey. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a being at work story.